Today we're diving into how ordinary followers of Jesus like you and me can change our world for time and for eternity. I'm excited. And you're in for such a treat because Tessa Afshar has really just become a sweet friend. She's an author. You may recognize her from her books, Harvest of Rubies or Pearl in the Sand. She writes biblical and inspirational historical fiction, and she's so good at it, award-winning in on so many of her books. Her most recent book is called Daughter of Rome, and she's here this morning with you and me and Perry. And we're going to dig into the story of Aquila and Priscilla. Their story shows up a lot in the, well, not a lot, in the book of Acts. They are helpers of Paul. Perhaps you could pray for us, Tessa. Mm. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name with every breath, with every word. Thy will be done so that whatever we have planned, we hold loosely. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you have your way and change whatever thoughts we have right now. If it's not what you want, we ask, oh Lord, that every part of us be under your will and direction. Because you know who will be listening. And you know precisely their needs. I pray that you bless and anoint Shauna and Perry and me uh, with the stories about our own lives, maybe that we need to share with the with laughter, but also with the deeper things, the things that cause our hearts to squeeze a little bit, the things that convict us and bring us to repentance, the things that draw us closer to you and remind us that we are clay that in the potter's hand can become beautiful things. So we pray that you exert your power on our behalf, that your kingdom may come, and that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking this week about being lifelong learners, and we want to learn everything that we can from the lives of Priscilla and Aquila. But just introduce us to them. Who are they? Priscilla and Aquila are this extraordinary couple that in a very understated way sort of set the world on fire around them. One of the interesting things about them is every verse that mentions one of them also mentions the other. It's as if there is no Priscilla without an Aquila. So their marriage was extraordinary. Now they worked together. They had a day job. They were workers of leather. And then in the evening, they did ministry. They had house churches. They helped the Apostle Paul. And he even says that they saved his life at risk to their own. So they are exceptional adventurers. They are hard workers. And very quietly, because their lives weren't like they weren't famous in their own lifetime and they weren't rich or anything like that. But in this quiet way, they helped other Christians, including the Apostle Paul, to change the face of the world because Europe at that time, all of them had no idea about Christ, about the salvation that had come. And these people changed the face of Europe and ultimately the world. Award-winning author Tessa Afshar. And so we're going to look at the story of Aquila and Priscilla and their story shows up in Acts. I think they're mentioned in other places, a few other places in the New Testament. But they're just ordinary followers of Jesus, like you and me. And they get to help the Apostle Paul, and they get to help shepherd new believers. And 
it just gives me encouragement because if God can use them, he can use anybody, and he wants to use us. He wants us to partner with us in his great work, and we don't have to be famous like the Apostle Paul. Right, and every part of life is used to bring honor and glory to God, so we're going to we're going to see throughout the morning how even some of the difficult things in life that surfaced, God used those to prepare them and to use them in a powerful way for the kingdom of God. We have Tessa Afshar with us. She is the best. She's a best-selling author. You may recognize some of the titles of her books, a Pearl in the Sand and Harvest of Rubies. She also writes Bible studies, and she's become a friend of ours here at Perry and Shauna Mornings. And we're talking this week about learning, being ongoing life learners. And today we're going to learn a little bit from the lives of Priscilla and Aquila. And they were mentioned in the in the New Testament only about six times, but they were courageous and faithful and they were influential spiritual leaders through some of the most harrowing years of the church's early history. And so as we take a look at their lives and we learn from them, we can apply these important lessons from this famous couple this morning. How do you think they first heard about Jesus? So I think that for Aquila, we may have a slight clue. Aquila, we are told in Acts 18, is from a city named Pontus. Now, Pontus is is in modern-day Turkey, and at the time, this is like around maybe 50 AD, Pontus already had a huge community of Jews, very active Jewish people. I think I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. No, no, you keep going. Okay. Because I might be wrong, and I don't want to appear to be wrong. wrong because every <laughs> failure will bring us in the hands of God to someplace good. Okay, well. okay, okay. But you go ahead first. Okay. So Aquila, and his name, by the way, is Latin, and it means eagle. So even though he was a Jew, he obviously, his, his family were very involved in the Roman world because they chose a Latin name for him. Most Jews had either a Greek or Latin name as well, just to be able to kind of be in the world and mix in it easily if they lived outside of Israel. But uh, we were only given Aquila's name as that Latin version. So Aquila is from Pontus. And as I mentioned, Pontus is a kingdom in modern day Turkey. And it's also mentioned besides Acts 18 in two other places. Earlier in Acts, when the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost came, that first Pentecost, and people were hearing the name of God being worshipped. Jews were hearing the name of God being worshipped in different languages. One of the people groups were the people of Pontus. So there were people there who right at the beginning, Jews there who right at the beginning would have heard Peter's sermon, that like sort of 10-minute sermon that brought 3,000 people into Christ and and they became believers and followers of Jesus. They were people from Pontus there. That was 30 years before Priscilla and Aquila would have gone to Corinth or, or 20 years before. So would Aquila have been there or maybe his relative would have been there and then come home and shared the news of the gospel with Aquila. So that's a possibility. We are also told by the apostle Peter later on, about 10 years after this, he greets the people of Pontus, the believers in Pontus. So we know that there's a nice little community of Christians in Pontus formed, probably from the time of 
the Holy Spirit speaking in the languages of the people of Pontus. So, so Aquila may have been exposed to the faith in that way. That's really cool to think about how Aquila might have been there at Pentecost. Yeah. And there were so many Jews from all over the world. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Amazed, they asked, aren't these all Galileans? How is it they're, they're speaking our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. So this is just amazing to think about how the gospel began to spread right there from Jerusalem because of Pentecost. You know, we we know all about the journeys of Paul and such, but really the expansion of the gospel started there because all those Jews had come and then they scattered back and shared the message. Right. And when we hear the story of Pentecost, you know, I don't know, I just see this blanket of people and they're kind of unnamed, you know, without faces that had this experience. And so to, to just even in our own imagination, see him there, you know, see Aquila there, that that Mm -hmm. was a possibility or even, you know, that he could have just heard the testimony of what took place there. And that could have been, you know, a relative could have brought back the faith to him. Yeah. But it's exciting. Yeah. And so just thinking about like my own life when the Holy Spirit just came into my life and Shauna, when the Holy Spirit came into your life and just how you want to share that and it's how the gospel spreads. And so you, my friend, filled with the Holy Spirit, follower of Jesus, take the good news wherever you go. Priscilla and Aquila went through a painful experience in Rome. What was that experience? Tell us about that and then what we can learn from that for our own lives. We know Priscilla and Aquila lived in Rome and we think they were really connected there and loved it there because later on in their lives, as soon as they were allowed to go back to Rome, they went and started a house church in Rome. So that must have been the city of their hearts. I don't know if any of your listeners right now they have a city where they feel like that's home to me. And they may not live there right now. They may feel like strangers where they live. But there's a place where that feels like home. And I think that for Aquila and Priscilla, Rome was it. They were believers in Rome. They were probably already sharing the gospel. But something happened in Rome. And the emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. Now, it's probably not every single Jew that lived in Rome because the numbers were so huge and we don't really have any indication of that. But the indications are that he probably expelled all the Jews who were not Roman citizens or all the Jews who were followers of Christ, depending on which scholar you read, out of Rome. Whichever it was, it included Priscilla and Aquila. So here they are home. They love it. They have established their business there. They're workers of leather. They make tents and awnings and different things in leather. They have their business established, so they have a clientele. And overnight, their lives change. All their family, their friendships, their connections of faith and business, they are gone because the emperor says you have to leave Rome. 
And, you know, when the emperor made an edict like this, he didn't say, oh, you have a month, take your time and pack everything carefully and I'll pay your way out of Rome because I know travel is really expensive and dangerous. So here's a little extra money. It did not go like that. He would have probably given them 48 hours or something really ridiculous like that. And he would have said, you know, you cause trouble, most likely trouble between the Jewish followers of Christ and those who didn't think he was the savior. But we think something like that had happened with the Christians. And because there was this big riot, Claudius had said, that's it, I'm done with them. So they had to leave very quickly. And if you've ever packed your house and had to leave, you know how stressful that is. But to do it very quickly, to leave behind everybody you love and then have to leave, that's tremendously stressful and painful. And just, I think that for me, that would have brought me a little bit to the end of myself, having to leave everyone behind. And having done that a little bit in my life, I know what it feels like. It's not pleasant. It's difficult. So I think though, that God used that tremendously in their lives because it wasn't until this point, it wasn't until they went through this fire that then God opened the door for their ministry. And it was after this, immediately after this, they go to Corinth, they settle there. It's another big city. So it would have worked for their business. And right as soon as they arrive, very shortly afterwards, we think the Apostle Paul finds them. And that sort of, as they say, is the beginning of the mighty works that God does through them. But they couldn't have done it, I don't think, until God had prepared them by sending them through this fire, by tempering them, tempering the steel of their faith, tempering the steel of their souls by this loss. Hmm. I think even Jesus, as soon as he was baptized by John. The Greek is the Holy Spirit. I think it's exvalo. And he he drove him. He kind of pushed him. It's a very powerful verb. It's not like guided him into the wilderness. It's just like he drove him into the wilderness where he was going to have those 40 days of temptation and suffering. Even he had to be prepared and tempered mm. by suffering. And the Holy Spirit did it very intentionally. So sometimes it's not just that the Lord allows it. Sometimes he even intentionally brings us to these, prepares us through these fires. That is just so encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me because I've had my share of hardships, probably not as deeply as you, but I've had my hardships. You know, you go through life and you you go through things and to know that God is preparing us through those, mm-hmm. that the painful things, the unwanted things, our own mistakes, our own sins, our own failures, you know, for me, that God is using all of that to prepare me to be a blessing to my world. That yeah. is just, that's so hopeful. And that's why the gospel is the hope of the world. It's it's really the greatest message of the world. And the greatest thing about it is it's true. Yeah, and my hope for sure is that when I'm going through really junky stuff, hard stuff, that God is going to use that to prepare me and to bring honor and glory to his name, you know, prepare me for what's next, all of those things. But I got to tell you, it does, um, it stretches my faith yeah. when we talk about how 
the Holy Spirit led Jesus into that time of temptation, right? That that sometimes it's not that God's just using the consequences of our own bad choices or, you know, we live in a fallen world, so there's hard things that happen here. You know, Jesus himself said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's not just that he's using the bad things and shaping them, but sometimes he's even orchestrating the hard things yeah. to prepare us. And that requires a, some really, really intense trust. You know, you, you don't allow yourself to be, you know, to, to go through difficult times at the hand of someone that you don't trust. Mm -hmm. And so it really does require us to say, okay, God, as much as I want to be in control and as much as I want to avoid hard things, I believe that you're good. I believe that you're for me and I can trust you. We are talking about peanut butter because everybody loves peanut butter. At least I think everybody loves peanut butter. But we want to know what you like with peanut butter, but you can't say jelly. You can't say jelly. That's too easy. So Stephanie says she likes it um, with banana, on club crackers, and on chocolate ice cream. I've never heard of the on chocolate mm. ice cream. Do you ever put peanut butter on your ice cream? No, but that sounds interesting. With chocolate ice cream, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's amazing. like the Reese's thing going on. I can't believe I've never done that before. Yeah, so peanut butter, what do you like it with? Can't say jelly. What you got, Pear Dog? Okay, so when I was a kid, one of my favorite lunchtime sandwiches was peanut butter with no top. Peanut butter with no top. I don't know what that means. I know. That's why I'm saying it. Okay. So it's it's just one slice of bread with the peanut butter on top. Mm -hmm. You don't put the other slice on it. Oh, okay, gotcha. Peanut butter with no top. <laughs> peanut butter with no and so when my dad, you know, my dad worked swing shift, so sometimes he'd be home around lunchtime. And are you okay over there? Yeah, I'm fine. Keep going. All right. So I would say, Dad, I want peanut butter with no top, but I want you to put brown sugar on it. Peanut butter and brown sugar on bread. Yes. That does yes. sound yummy. Yeah. So yummy. my dad would put the, I'd watch him put the peanut butter on, and then he'd sprinkle very thickly the brown sugar on it and he'd bring it over to me and he'd have it in his hand and it'd be about two two feet off the table and he'd slap that baby right down on the table <laughs> and that was just that was part of the joy of the experience you this know just delivery slapping it down peanut butter with no top and it was oh what's the word what is the word it was magic. Okay. Here's one of the ways that I like peanut butter that I think a lot of people don't do it. Peanut butter on a pancake, and then you put the maple syrup. So instead of using Ooh, just regular yeah. butter, yeah. you spread peanut butter on top of the pancake, and it just melts immediately because the pancake's warm. What you're doing wrong there? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that you have to put the maple syrup on first so that it soaks completely into the pancake. And then get the peanut butter on top of the syrup. No, 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 no. Because then when you go to spread the peanut butter, it's just going to, like, rip the pancake because the pancake has seeped in all the syrup. You got to figure you, you got to figure that out. Nope. You got to put the peanut. I got it figured out. All right. Pancake, <laughs> peanut butter, syrup. <laughs> but thanks for the what you ought to do. That was great. We have Tessa Afshar joining us this morning. She's a best-selling author. You might recognize some of her titles. 
Harvest of Rubies, or Pearl in the Sand. And her latest book is called Daughter of Rome. And she's joining us today to talk specifically about Priscilla and Aquila, who are only mentioned six times in the New Testament, but they were courageous and faithful, and they were inspirational spiritual leaders in some really disturbing times in the church's early history. They just kept going. I mean, there was danger and there was loss, and they just held on to their faith. And so many people came to Christ because of their ministry, because of their lives. Mm -hmm. And as we go through kind of a difficult time of our own right now, there's just a lot that we can learn from Priscilla and Aquila. So what can we learn from Priscilla's role in the church? I think this is fascinating. So first of all, who was Priscilla? And there's a little bit of a hint in her name because obviously the Bible doesn't go into her background very much. But her actual given name, we're told in the Bible, is Prisca. Priscilla or Priscilla, probably in the Latin, is actually a diminutive. That's her nickname, little Prisca. Prisca is the feminine version of Priscus. And Priscus was a noble name. There weren't that many nobility in Rome. There were a number of names that are well known. And we know that if you have this name, you belong to this noble family. So often, if your name belonged to one of these noble families, then you name their daughters after that famous person. So Priscilla could very well have belonged to the Priscus family. She would have been belonged to a branch of this family in Rome. However, these families also named their slaves after the famous person. So Priscilla could have been a slave named after Priscus. Now, here's where I think it's probably not so, because slaves were not allowed to marry, and we know that Priscilla had married Aquila. Now, sometimes slaves were set free, but those were male slaves. Female slaves were rarely set free. They were kept in the families. They were born and kept in the families even. And so... Most likely to me, Priscilla was, in fact, a daughter of one of the branches of the Priscus family, which made her kind of nobility or minor nobility in Rome. She probably was an educated woman. And we know this because often in the Bible, as her name is mentioned with Aquila, she's even mentioned first before Aquila. That doesn't happen in this period. Men are always mentioned. So if your name is mentioned first, it usually means that you have a bigger role in this situation. So, for example, when she's teaching Apollos, who was himself an educated man, it's Priscilla and Aquila teaching. So she clearly had enough education and learning to participate in teaching a very educated man. So her role in the church, in the early church, was not only a helper to her husband, but she also helped co-lead and co-host a home church. She taught, upon occasion, extraordinary things when you think about the patriarchal society that the church was at that time. Yeah, and so Aquila had to be a, a secure person. That's exactly right. So he's a man in a culture that tells him he always has to be upfront and you know, the woman is not quite as important as he is, and it's up to him. And yet, as a man, he's secure enough, and he trusts his wife enough, and he believes in her gifting enough that he allows her to come forward, releases her gifting, and consistently is behind her. I think that's what makes this marriage extraordinary, and that's why they're always mentioned together. Priscilla, Aquila, they're never without each other because they 
they recognize, honor, and respect the gifting in one another. And this had to really put an exclamation point on the message of Jesus, because in that world, you don't have a, a husband cheering his wife on to be the speaker. That just didn't happen. And, you know, Jesus' message elevates women. And so that just had to be so powerful for people to see them working together. I think that's very astute and very true. I also think, I mean, we know that in Corinth, the Apostle Paul actually moved into their house for a season. They worked together during the day. Then they put the clothes sign on for the leather work and opened the door. And believers and seekers, Gentiles, Jews, everybody would come in, gather, and then they would teach. So that means there's a man who lives in the house. And again, the security of Aquila, he doesn't get shaken. He trusts in his wife. He trusts in Paul. And they are, they are worthy of his trust. So, you know, it's incredible. And because of that trust, more people are exposed to the faith. My daughter just got back from South Africa and had the privilege of working with a amazing um, missionary, uh, this woman who just powerful woman of God. And she does quite a bit of teaching. She has started churches. She runs these, you know, missionary schools on the squatter camps in South Africa. Just, I mean, dynamic woman. And my daughter had had a conversation with her at one point about all the things that she was leading and all the things that she was doing. Um, you know, they had a conversation about women's roles in ministry and being a missionary and that sort of thing. And she said, how did you land on doing all the things that you're doing? And she said, I just, I don't like being disobedient. And God just led me one step at a time. He said, this is what I want you to do, Annalie. And now this is what I want you to do, Annalie. And she said, you know, I know there's some pushback, but I just don't like disobeying God, so I just keep doing what mm. he tells me to do, and that's how these things have happened. Mm. That's for sure what Priscilla did, and that's what you should do, my friend. Hey, there's a historical fiction book about Priscilla that Tessa has written, and this book is up for a, a, an award, a major award, and it's called Daughter of Rome. It's all about the, the life of Priscilla and Aquila, and it's historical fiction, so, you know, most of it's not really right in the from the Bible because we only hear about them six times in the New Testament. But Tessa does her work. She does her background work with history, and, and it's a great story. You might want to check that out. Daughter of Rome. Let's talk about Priscilla and Aquila's relationship with Paul. What role did they play in his life, and what can we learn from that relationship? Paul says in one of the verses, he says, first of all, when they are separated, he often sends them his greeting. He calls them. He says, all the churches in Asia owe them a debt of thanks. So you can see the level of influence that this man and women had. But at one point, he also says, not only does he call both of them his co-workers in the uh, in Christ, but he says that they risk their own neck to save his life. This is a very special friendship. And you know, Jesus said, this is really love. The ultimate love is when a man lays down his own life. And these two laid down their own lives for Paul. They risked their own lives to save him. We don't know what exactly the situation was. The Bible never tells us. And those are the things I can't wait to get to heaven and say, okay, so come on, tell me the real story. <laughs> 
But we know that it was a very dangerous situation that Paul's life was in danger. And these two risked their own necks to save him. And they did save him. This is friendship at its best. This is when you open your home, you have hospitality, you work together, you talk together. I can just imagine they're they're sort of working together on a piece of leather and there's a problem they're all dealing with. And they say, okay, let's stop and pray together right now. It is a very special relationship. And I imagine they were always missing each other. Paul always wanted to go to Rome when they returned to Rome and be with them. And tradition has, of course, that he did go. The Bible tells us that he did end up going. So let me get this straight. Paul says in the New Testament that Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for him. Mm-hmm. That's what she said? That's what she's saying. Yeah, so we don't know how they did that, but in Walter Wangren's Paul, a novel, it's historical fiction, he imagines what might have happened. And so Paul was on his third missionary journey, and most of his time he spent in Ephesus. He was there for, I don't know, it was like a couple of years. And toward the end of it, this is what Walter Wengren imagines. He imagines that Paul gets thrown in jail unjustly, and, you know, he's facing some serious charges. And what happens is that Priscilla disguises herself because she's small and Paul is small, and she disguises herself as Paul, and they go to the prison, and they go there, you know, under the pretense of, you know, giving him some food or whatever, and they go in, Priscilla and Aquila go in, and they exchange places. Uh, Priscilla and Paul exchange places, you know, covertly, and Paul comes out, and they whisk Paul away to safety, and Priscilla is in the jail cell, and then later, you know, um, Aquila comes and he says, what are you doing? You've, you've, you've got a woman in your prison cell and, you know, this is unjust. And so she gets released, but she puts her life on the line. And that's, that's how he imagines that they risked their lives for Paul. Huh, that's a fun possible outcome, right? Yeah, or possible yeah. story of how it went down. But either way, there was, you know, deep commitment to their faith and deep commitment to this relationship. I mean, I think they had to have known you know, Paul was a man who was going to have incredible impact and that he, he needed to keep doing what he was doing so much so. And not just out of responsibility, but there had to have just been deep love and respect for one another mm-hmm. to to be willing to put your life at stake for Paul. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear you saying is that they realized the power of Paul's ministry mm-hmm. and they would do anything, including die for him in order to continue to keep him going not only in his ministry, but because they were such dear friends with him, you know. And as Jesus says, you know, and this is is such a, a calling to us. It's calling out to you and me right now. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. And what might that look like for me and you today? Well, you and I are in a battle Paul says to fight the good fight of faith, and I don't know about you, but I I feel that war. I feel that battle every day. It's the battle to hold on to my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand firm in the gospel. I know that Jesus is holding on to me, but Paul says, fight the good fight, you know, stand firm in the gospel. So 
I've got a part to play in this. It's there's sort of a mystery here. You know, I'm 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 sure of my salvation, and yet we are called to to battle. We're called to have some grit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, Tessa Afshar is joining us today. She's a best-selling author. You might recognize some of her titles: "Pearl in the Sand" and "Harvest of Rubies." Her latest, "Daughter of Rome." She writes Bible studies as well, but she's joining us today specifically to talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Um, if you don't recognize their names, they've only been mentioned six times in the New Testament. But my goodness, this is a dynamic duo. They lived a life of courage and faith together, husband and wife. They were influential spiritual leaders in some of the most really troubling times in the church's early history. And they just kept going. I mean, they experienced loss and danger, but they just held on to their faith. And so many people came to know Jesus through Priscilla and Aquila. And we can learn from their lives today and apply what we learn there to the time that we're living in right now. So how can we tell that Priscilla and Aquila actually fought the good fight? I think at the end of their lives, what you see is they've gone through a lot. You can imagine, first of all, their daily lives are full of stress. And so when they travel, every time they travel, just from a business point, they have to restart a fresh clientele. That's not easy. The financial pressures are not easy. Leaving behind friends is not easy. Every time they go to settle down, they have to pull the plug and go. So those stresses are a lot. Also, having a house church means that they have to, and these are Gentiles. I mean, they're wild Gentiles. You're talking about the people of Corinth. There, there are some wild people in the midst of them who've done just about every sin you can possibly imagine. There's every spiritual, every spiritual brokenness that you can imagine is in their midst. Mm-hmm. So they have to pray for them. They have to listen to their sorrows. They have to host and clean up and cook and sit down and guide. And all the hardship that comes from that life, they consistently do it. And yet at the end, they're not burned out. Mm -hmm. They go right back to Rome years later and they start all over again with a new house church. And I think this shows that they fought the good fight all the way. To me, it reminds me of a verse when Jesus says to his disciples, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, the truth is, apart from Jesus, actually, we can do a lot. It's just that we can do nothing that's lasting, nothing that will stand the test of time, Mm. nothing that is of eternity, nothing that's worthy. Apart from him, we can do nothing that is worthy and good. And Priscilla and Aquila did so much with him. They fought that good fight. And the fruit that they left is lasting. You know, sometimes we think, when we think about that verse or we think about Priscilla and Aquila, we just think about ministry and sort of sharing the gospel and all of that. And that's true. But our daily lives, just those everyday common decisions that we make, they also are part of fighting the good fight. They also offer us a choice. Are we going to live this moment apart from Jesus? go off on our own and live it because we can, or even this ordinary moment, are we going to make sure that we are with Jesus? But you know, so often we are so determined to go on our own way apart from Jesus. And to the degree that we're going in our own way, to the degree that we're trying to help someone else in our own power, to the degree that we don't want to disappoint someone, to the degree that we are chasing after to assuage our own anxieties and fears 
to the degree that we're going to try to remain in control. To that degree, we're apart from Jesus. Mm. And I think Priscilla and Aquila very rarely did that. What I hear you saying is that fighting the good fight is we're really fighting against our own pride and our own selfishness and our own need for applause and approval. We're fighting the fight to know Jesus and to make him known. Yes, and faith is a battle. Every time you have to struggle against those parts of yourself, you are going to be in a battle. Every time you have to struggle for your family, for those things, you're going to be in a battle. Every time you struggle against the world, you're going to be in a battle. That's why it's called a fight. Mm -hmm. There's a battle surrounding faith. Your faith has an enemy, and there's a battle over you. And you are in the midst of a battle. As we kind of zoom in on Priscilla and Aquila, there's so much that we can learn from their lives. And specifically, Tessa, just share with us a little bit more about how we know, out of the little that we know of Priscilla and Aquila, how do we know that they fought the good fight? I think one of the ways that Priscilla and Aquila fought the good fight was that they kept their eyes on Jesus all the way through their lives. We see this a little bit with Joshua. When Joshua is right outside Jericho, and God brings him, and there's this verse, this kind of like throwaway verse where God says to Joshua, see, I'm giving you this city. I'm giving you all its leaders. But but God specifically says see, which means that Joshua can actually look and see the walls of Jericho. That's what he's seeing. And that would have shaken any general's heart because those walls are famous in all of Canaan. They cannot be pulled down. They are impenetrable. And when God says, see, Joshua says, I see, I'm going to lose. That's Mm -hmm. what he sees with his own eyes. But what God is saying is see with my eyes. And that's what Joshua has to see when he looks. And I think Priscilla and Aquila had that trick of fighting the good fight, but seeing with the eyes of God. Every time danger came, every time the Gentiles said, well, I'm going to go chase after my own dream. They saw with the eyes of God and they knew how to pray into that and they knew how to stay and persevere through that. Man, what comes to mind, by the way, Tessa Afshar, award-winning historical fiction author, and what comes to mind is what am I looking at with just my human eyes and I need to look at it through the eyes of faith. I can think of something right now, you know, it's a relationship, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a broken person in my life and I can see that with my human eyes or I can look at it through the eyes of faith and I really need God's help to be able to keep looking at that really difficult situation and relationship and brokenness through the eyes of faith. Yeah, honestly, you know, when, when, we, when someone's bleeding, when someone's cut, when somebody's hurting, you're like, that's a bad thing. But if the cut is the result of a skilled surgeon you know, doing what needs to be done to bring about health. Mm. It's a good thing. And it's hard sometimes to look at circumstances where it's to us, it seems so obvious. This is wrong. This is bad. We need to fix it. And to just settle into trusting that God is doing a good thing in the midst of the hardship. Yeah. And you know, when life is painful, we need to say this, this hurts bad. This hurts bad. You know, we're not supposed to be Pollyanna and pie in the sky and such. But in the midst of saying, along with saying, this really hurts, but Lord, I help me. Help me believe 
Lord, I believe. Help, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. I mentioned earlier having a what, listening to a conversation um, that Louis Giglio was having with Bianca Oltoff, and and he was talking about replacing the enemy's lies with the truth, and it's mm-hmm. talking about being authentic at the same time. So he talked specifically. He used the example of, you know, um, believing the lie. I'm not going to make it. This is too hard, and I'm not going to make it. And recognizing that as a lie, drawing a line, and then writing the truth. God has pulled me through every difficult thing I've ever been through in my life. Mm. That's the truth. So erase the I'm not going to make it or scratch out the I'm not going to make it. Hold on to the God always pulls me through. He's faithful and I'm going to be okay. And he says you can be authentic with where you're at when you meet with other people. You know, you don't have to say, you know what? I'm good. It's good. Everything's going to be fine. You know, we're fine. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you mm-hmm. just lie into mm-hmm. the person in front of you, lie into yourself, right? You can honestly say, be real, don't lie, say, you know what? This is so hard. This is really challenging me and stretching me in ways that are really testing me. But I got to tell you, God has been faithful mm-hmm. every single time I've needed him. And when I look back, I'm just grabbing from that. I'm pulling that into the future knowing that I'm going to be okay. And his word is so precious. And right now I'm thinking of Paul's words to us in our sufferings, whatever they might be, in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, uh, 4, 17 and 18. He says, our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they are producing an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. But what is unseen is eternal. We've been learning this morning from two unsung New Testament personalities. They're unsung because they're only mentioned six times in the New Testament, four times in Acts, but they had a huge role to play in the life of Paul, in the extension of the kingdom. And so we've been learning from them if you miss the show, you can catch it later on today or tomorrow, whenever we get it posted, perryandshauna.org, perryandshauna.org. But if you did hear the show, we'd love to hear your takeaway, something you you grabbed from the life of Priscilla and Aquila, 800-968-8930, 800-968-8930. So my takeaway from today is, you know, you mentioned they were unsung heroes, right? Like it is so the desire of my heart to that people by somehow encountering me would fall more in love with Jesus. That's my heart's desire. And I worry, if you will, about um, how that's going to play out. Like, Lord, is that happening? Will that happen? And I guess my takeaway today is my job isn't to be loud. My job isn't to be known. My job is just to be obedient. Mm -hmm. So I may never know the impact or how influence happened, but that doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about the outcomes. Mm. I just need to do the next right thing that God is calling me to do. There's a lot of freedom in that. Just releasing the outcomes and saying, okay, God, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang out with you today. I'm going to stay connected to you and I'm going to be obedient when I feel you prompting me to do something or I know you've spoken something. I'm just going to do what you're telling me to do. And then I'm done. I'm released. Mm. Same. Is that your takeaway today? Uh-uh. <laughs> no, but that really, that really drives home 
something I just needed to hear. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Praise God. So my takeaway is that, you know, Priscilla and Aquila lived in Rome and they got kicked out of Rome. The Jewish believers got kicked out of Rome because of the tension between the Jews and Jewish followers of Jesus. And because of the tension, the emperor got fed up and he, and he kicked out the Jewish believers. And so, you know, they probably had 48 hours to get out of town. Yeah. But that was a great struggle and a great trial and a great pain in their lives. And they went through many other difficulties, but God was preparing them. Because when they got booted out of Rome and and that was so unsettling and so hard and they met Paul because they went to Corinth first and they there they met Paul and they got connected with arguably one of the most influential leaders in all of human history. That's what Tim Keller says. Wow. Paul was probably arguably one of the six or seven top leaders in human history. Yeah but the Lord was preparing them through the pain in order to be a part of the life of this incredible man who planted the gospel in the known world. And I just, it encourages me that my, my nothing I'm going through either in my past or right now, the struggles, the pain, the difficulties, uh, the fighting, the good fight of faith, nothing is wasted. Mm. I'm being prepared all the time. Uh, I've been prepared for what I'm doing now. I'm being prepared now for what I'll do later. In the midst of hard things, my prayer is get me out. I want out. I Mm -hmm. want relief. I don't know. I'm just feeling challenged to switch that up to God, just finish what you've started. Prepare me for what's next.